and welcome everyone to episode 215 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined by Ryan and Paul after we've been like fighting through some technical difficulties oh, here for geez, 20 minutes. It's terrible. <laughs> it's like we haven't done this in a while. We're kind of struggling here. So I think knock on wood, we're, we're all good. But other than that, how are you guys doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Yeah, it, it was all right. It, it was fun. Um, got some free babysitting out of the parents. <laughs> Saw Jim Gaffigan in downtown Milwaukee. That was fun. Nice. Uh, Wait, was he over show. at the uh, Riverside? He was at the Riverside. Good show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good time yeah. was had by all. Yeah. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I had a good time. I went and uh, had Thanksgiving second year row at my brother's place in Madison, and my in-laws came down, and the first time that they got to see my family, we had seen them a few times throughout the pandemic, but they hadn't really spent any time with my family, so everybody got together. So that was cool to get uh, all of the people together, and I haven't seen them yet, but my sister, her kids, and her husband are in the country for the first time in... Jeez, almost two years, uh, just wow. just short of two years because they are, oh. live in South Africa and obviously cool. got stuck there. Great time. Oh, indeed. Great time. They, but they flew out. They flew out right yeah. before I think all of the okay. the the nastiness started. And uh, the obviously my my sister and her husband were both fully vaxxed and they got their their six year old fully vaxxed the second he got into the country. So, or he got his first shot. I think he still has to get his second, obviously. But they also have a three-year-old who has not been able to do it yet. But they're working on it. So, looking cool. forward to seeing them multiple nice. times over the holidays here, which is going to be nice. Yeah, great to see family. I got up to uh, lacrosse for a couple uh, days, long weekend, first long weekend I've had for holidays in, like ever. So that was that was really nice too. So, and uh, you picked me something up, didn't you? I, I did. Yeah, we stopped at 608 Brewing, got you a, a, a bottle or two of the uh, very nice uh, special release there. Yeah, unfortunately, one of the bottles did not make it, right? No, a, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, I made the mistake of trying to carry too much out of the car, and, and one bottle met an untimely demise on the uh, floor of the parking garage. So, uh, no, smelled great, though, as it was uh, running down the, the concrete. Right yeah, and this, was a, this is a barrel-aged vanilla. Were they, like, 30 a pop? That yeah, was, they were 30 bucks a pop, so yeah. Oof, it's oh, fine. Uh, oh, well. Oh, well I, will, I will be cost. sharing that with uh, some people that would be familiar to uh, listeners of this podcast once uh, we're able to get together after the holidays at some point. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we took that week off and turns out we uh, missed a lot so we've got a lot to get to uh before we dive into all of that a reminder as always uh you can become a patron help us out by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate that gets you question priority here on this podcast as well as paul's reporting as eligible packers podcast five bucks a month gets you some extra content that minor league extra pod with ryan and james anderson from rotowire you also get the reporting as eligible preview mini pods. Paul will preview the game every single week there. Uh, so we did have that, uh, you know, the lockout, obviously a thing now, as we all expected, kind of started uh, at the start of December here. And right before that, we got a flurry of activity, which I think probably surprised all of us because we were all kind of thinking things were kind of dead in the water before we got to this. Uh, but uh, I guess we should just kind of run through everything, name check everything. So, uh, Ryan, let me know if I missed anything here. I think we're trying to run through the logs. We checked MLB trade rumors, and I think this is the complete list of 
going back to the last time we podcasted the transactions for the Brewers. Yeah, usually I check brewers.com, but uh, for some reason that's not super helpful on current goings on. So um, anyway, uh, Brewers non-tender Big Dan Volgebach and John Curtis. They officially signed a pair of catchers in Pedro Severino and Brett Sullivan. They swung a trade for a power bat in Hunter Renfro, getting rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. in the process. There's some minor league signings here. Rex Brothers, a familiar name. He pitched with the Cubs most recently. David Dahl and Abraham Almonte also signed minor league deals. Uh, I guess no major league component for now because of some of the whole labor questions. Uh, They also traded for J.C. Mejia, a relief arm from Cleveland, for a player to be named later or cash. And they lost Sarah Goodrum to the Astros' front office. Does that just about cover everything we missed in the last two weeks, Ryan? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything major other than R.I.P. Doug Jones uh, yeah. that unfortunately yeah, came out in that time away. period. But yeah, other than that, I think we pretty much hit it all there. Whew. Okay, so I guess uh, let's let's start. Uh, Paul, I know you're going to mourn the loss of Dan Vogelbach. What's your favorite Dan Vogelbach memory? Oh, uh, the, the walk-off Grand Slam was his, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Yeah, so, yep. so that, <laughs> by far, <laughs> that was great. Good yeah, for Dan. Yeah, yeah, lots of moments for you to pick from, though. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah, always a big fan. Uh, so, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it is the walk-off Grand Slam. I can't yeah. honestly it's, think of too many like other there's, things. There's, there's not a lot. Oh, come on. He had some slick defensive plays. <laughs> um, I, I liked Dan Vogelbach going the other way with two strikes. That was kind of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, he really shortened up and just like punched the ball <laughs> the other way, which I think is... Uh, yeah, it's just catnip to anybody over the age of like fifty, right? Bill Schroeder's gonna miss that. That's yeah, yeah. It's the, oh. the real professional at bats there with two strikes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, kind of a, a forty man casualty, somewhat, but also just not really what what they're looking for, or at least kind of redundant with Rowdy Telez on the roster. Kind of what we've been saying since they traded for Rowdy Telez. Yep. Um, so, uh, Big Dan will be moving on. I guess the other big thing obviously the biggest thing is the jackie bradley jr trade and we got a ton of questions on that but before that let's i guess dive into the catching situation so obviously the brewers lost manny pina to atlanta uh so they needed to fill that that backup catcher role they get uh pedro severino most recently of the baltimore orioles kind of looks like another omar narvaez case right where he's he's okay with the bat but kind of notoriously bad catching or framing i guess paul any hope here that the brewers continue to work their magic and get like a decent backup out of this anyway oh definitely there's all kinds of things to like about the pedro severino signing um for one thing it's always a good idea to take people from baltimore um which is a uh, most baseball organizations aren't terrible baltimore is in fact terrible and uh if you have anybody that you can get out of there that's <laughs> Ryan's like, yeah, no, they. they are. I mean, that's old information at this point. They've <laughs> they've completely turned over their organization at this point. It's okay. It's all fine, those guys from the Astros, the ones that weren't dickheads. But he's been there since 2019, and it, uh, sure. I mean, that's that's all fine and good. But um, and the, the Brewers are, I think, we can we can say with confidence, able to teach people how to frame. Um, and so that's not a big issue for them uh, if they can get a guy with a decent bat. That's great. Now I would say. I'm not sure how great his, but Ryan will know this better than me. His bat doesn't jump off the page at you when you look at his his uh, stats page here. So th- there there is that. But I mean, I, I I like anytime the Brewers can grab catchers and just see what they can make out of them. So 
Uh, I think it's totally fi- fine idea, but um, I wish he hit a little better for Baltimore. And he's not atrocious. He's in his OPS plus is in the the 90s for the last three years. But um, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit bigger bat. Um, but whatever, you know, it's it's Omar's backup. It's, it's not a big deal. Yeah, and that's what this is. It's a it's another yep. shot at a backup. I'm yep. sure that they have guys targeted. They have a list of people that they just you know run down and uh, have ideas of who they can. Because I don't think they're just grabbing grabbing random people that they think they can turn into better players behind the dish. I think they're looking for certain skills. They're looking for certain things. Yeah, and then are able to work with that. But yeah, he was legitimately really bad. I'm just trying to find it here. Uh, he's way down the list. Yeah, you got to scroll for a while if you're looking for him <laughs> in the framing rank. Yeah, he's 104th out of 116 in terms yep. of catcher defense last year. It's um, bad, so there's room for improvement. Yes. Though, right around him, here's some names in the uh, general vicinity. Uh, two worse than him is Salvador Perez, who I believe got some first place MVP votes. So he did. Yeah. Yep. So... Uh, yeah, there's, there's some of that stuff, but this is a, it's a weird thing because the guy's 27 going on, he'll be 28 next year, but it's a developmental thing. They're picking him up to develop him and work forward with him. And again, it is a backup situation. So there's not huge stakes involved here or anything. Uh, and they will, I'm sure continue to look for other people like Andrew Sullivan. So they'll just continue to, to look, to add, uh, depth here as they go yeah they're lousy with catchers um, so i mean <laughs> somebody will work right and severino too he's a, a right-handed bat so maybe hits the lefties a little bit better than narvaez would so there's that too um i thought i had the splits pulled up and now my computer's being dumb I, and i can't I, quite look at it but i had them up and um, they weren't they weren't big so they're I, not I yeah they're not noticeably i guess in the last year for 18 ops against yeah. lefties for his career he has a 765 against lefties against a 628 against righties but you know there's some some old-timey stats in there too and but he, that's sure. that's a split worth building on i suppose yeah this last year uh, he had an 818 ops versus a 610 ops nice so yeah, yeah 200 point split and that's yeah, it's kind of what you're looking for because they will look to get Omar days off against lefties. They, yep. Severino will Absolutely. obviously have to start sometimes against right-handers. Yeah, that that will happen, but they will look to get him days off when they can against left-handed starters. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's move on to I guess the move everybody wants us to talk about or has been asking questions about. It's the trade with Boston right before that uh, deadline. They sent away Jackie Bradley Jr. and two prospects that Ryan is pretty upset about to Boston wow. uh, for Hunter Renfro. Uh, and Hunter Renfro might best be described as an Avi Garcia clone. The you know if he did the whole blind stat line test. Uh, they look pretty similar. Uh, so, some defensive differences, I guess, aside. Renfro's got a better arm, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I guess let's just start with our first Patreon question. PJ Wessels, he's asking, my initial reaction to the JBJ trade was a, quote, big wow, Stern's doing it again, end quote. Could you imagine a better sort of deal that included Jackie Bradley Jr.? Paul, let's start with you. <laughs> uh, c- could I start with silliness? Yeah. Okay. So, 
Um, I, I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but one of the weirdest things in all of sports is the fact that there is a Hunter Renfro who plays baseball and a Hunter Renfro who plays football, yes. and they're not they're not related to each other. They spell their last names differently, and it, it's not like there's the world is lousy with Hunter Renf- Renfros, you know. So it's pretty <laughs> weird. But uh, the the stat that I use to analyze, uh, especially college players, but everybody in football uh, is wide receiver OPS. And I invented it specifically for the purpose of comparing football players to uh, baseball players on the same scale. So um, I'm gonna gonna do that now. Um, so if you uh, <laughs> if you convert Hunter Renfro, the football player, uh, into a b- baseball stat line, um, he has a 441 on base percentage, which is you know really good. But he only slugs 340, <laughs> so no power, all hit guy is what you're dealing with there. Um, which is the complete opposite of baseball Hunter Renfro. Yes. Um, who like literally like, uh, but it's a 781 OPS for his career. Baseball Hunter Renfro uh, has a 786 OPS. So um, by the crude OPS stat, they're very similar. Um, he has a 297 on-base percentage, 490 slugging. So they're kind of polar opposites, which is also kind of fun. Um, so I, I do like that there's Hunter Renfros that also are like the conceptual opposites of each other in different sports, too. That's also really cool. Aside from that, it, it, it's a good, it's a very Brewer signing. Um, you can really build off Hunter Renfro um, splits because he mashes lefties. He has a, he has a career um, 900 OPS against lefties, yep. which is really good. Like, um, you know, not just kind of good. That's really good. Um, a, a nice 347 on base percentage to go with 557 slugging. He is, um, especially by baseball prospect- prospectus metrics, an excellent defensive outfielder. And uh, just in reading Jonathan Judge's tweets over the, over the thing, i kind of come to the conclusion that those are the best outfield metrics defensively. So um, it's it, he is not a complete player. He, like most Brewer signees, he has some weaknesses. He really can't hit the opposite side very, or the same side very well. Um, but he has what the Brewers look for. He's got a bunch of skills you can use if you have a smart manager and a smart organization that knows how to deploy them properly. And uh, they do. So they should get a lot of value out of him because the skills that he does bring to the table are outstanding. Okay, so oh no, it is, it's complicated with Renfro because okay. <laughs> he did have a pretty good year last year. And let's start with the things I do like about Renfro because there's some stuff pointing in the right direction here. If you look at his strikeout rate in 2019, it was 32.2 percent, and then with Tampa Bay, so that was year with the the Padres. Then he moved to Tampa Bay in 2020, had a really down year, but his strikeout rate actually improved by 5% down to 26.6. This year in Boston, it was down to 22.7. So he is dropping the strikeouts and seeming to make more contact that way. And so that is definitely a positive, and I do like that. I think that there is obviously there's real power there, and he does seem to have a good outfield arm, though I think it is one of those things that maybe gets overrated a bit, and I know that Red Sox fans were all crazy about that, and I, I don't know. it. In terms of the defensive numbers that where it shows up, I there's a lot of disagreement across, as Paul was talking about. There's a lot of disagreement, and yes, baseball prospectus does like him better, but there's other places that like him a lot less. And I think that it is fair to say at the very least that he is not nearly as good a defender as Jackie Bradley Jr. 
oh, okay. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and but that's where that's where my issue comes in here because essentially what they've done is they've traded, and we'll set aside the prospect things for a second because honestly, they're not a huge deal. It's just Benelis is interesting to me, but we'll we'll talk more about that in a minute. <laughs> but basically what they did is they took a guy coming off of a very up year. Hunter Renfro had probably the best year of his career. Uh I mean, not by Fangraph's war, but I think in in a way, a lot of people would look at it. You're looking at a 259, 315, 501 line. He, he probably had his best offensive season to date. And Jackie Bradley Jr. had by far his worst, right? I, 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 we, there's no question sure, about this. Yes. Historically he, he, bad. Historically yes. bad season for Jackie Bradley Jr. Chances are, I mean, we've all followed baseball a very long time and know that these things tend to bounce back and forth. And Hunter Renfro and Jackie Bradley Jr. have both had, you know, pretty decent up and down swings inside their careers. And I just I wonder if you're looking at a situation with Bradley Jr. where the defense and the ability to play a really good center field gives him a pretty good floor in terms of uh, where to play. And he doesn't need to bounce back that hard. Uh, if Renfro is sort of declining offensively to meet him, um, there's a very good chance that that Jackie Bradley Jr. ends up being the better player this next year. Now, probably not as good a hitter as Renfro, and maybe that is where you could say, okay, Renfro is a better fit for the roster than, say, Jackie Bradley Jr. would be because if Lorenzo Kane is healthy all year, Bradley Jr. is going to spend a lot of time not in center field, and so that's going to minimize the value of that defense. But we're also in a situation where who knows how many games different guys might play. Like Lorenzo Cain has missed a bunch of time. We we just don't know. So I feel like there's a decent chance that what you end up with here is these guys sort of heading back the other direction. Uh, one coming down from a, an up year and one coming up from a down year. And they end up crossing paths in the middle. And basically you've you've cleared some salary. Yes. It's a little complicated because of Jackie Bradley Jr.'s uh, the buyout money in 2022. It's a very strange contract. Or sorry, in 2023. It's a very strange contract. But there is some money that they're getting out of there. And they are saving, I think, is a couple million dollars this year on the deal. So they are getting a little bit of money back in that deal. But then again, they're also giving up. Alex Benellis, who is the kid out of Oak Creek, who really, like, if you look, had a really amazing uh, breakthrough in uh, his first run through in pro ball here. He was drafted this year by the Brewers in the third round. I think third round. Yeah, it was the third round. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that James last we talked. And by the way, there will be a minor league podcast coming sometime in the not too distant future. It's been a while. So we we will get you caught up there. But there just hasn't been a lot to talk about. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Benelis is a guy that that is interesting, and so ultimately, it probably doesn't matter. It's probably kind of shuffling deck chairs a little bit, and maybe Runfro is a better fit for the roster this year. But I think there is some downside to this move that, obviously, as Brewer fans who saw nothing but wretchedly horrible Jackie Bradley Jr., we're not necessarily recognizing because we haven't seen what the good Jackie Bradley Jr. looks like. So, 
By the way, when that trade happened, Bill Simmons immediately tweeted Benella's exclamation point, which makes me think that that won't work out. But not that I wish, not that I wish, <laughs> Ill, not that I wish ill of him. Of course, uh, I, I do not. But, Bill uh, Simmons was tweeting just, about Alex Benellis. He was. He was. Yes, it was very surprising. <laughs> I was like, "What? How? How do you know that?" For, um, but uh, yeah, but I, I do think uh, I don't think it's just shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, uh, unless you include uh, Avi Garcia, who is no longer on the Titanic. Um, because right. even a good Jackie Bradley Jr. offensive season isn't a good enough offensive season for the Brewers, who need to get better on offense. Whereas um, Hunter Renfro is potentially at least treading water with Garcia, um, if yeah. yeah, I would say even on an averagey type season. And uh, you know, if they actually deploy him and get the most out of his right side, I mean, I, he has a pretty big sample size of his splits, and a 900 OPS on that side is nothing to sneeze at. So. Um, I think that's a good way to generate quite a bit more offense. Yeah, center field is potentially a problem at this point, but I'm not sure I care that much about Brewer defensive center field, given how good their pitching is um, going to be. And uh, Tyrone Taylor can play it okay in a backup right. role as of, and there's still a whole season. I mean, this baseball season's not going to start for like ten months, so who cares? Um, lots of time for <laughs> stuff to happen um, and backups to be added and whatnot. So. Um, I, I like it better for their their situation where they've got to add offensive pieces. And uh, I hope there's a few more kind of like this to, to make the offense better. Let me ask you this. Does this worry you from a perspective of is this all they're going to do? If this is the major move to get better offensively, that's not enough, right? No, it's not. That is not. not. That, that's just that's just repl- maybe replacing Garcia. That's all that is then. Yeah, that is absolutely not enough. They need to do more. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that is a whole other complicated set of issues that we'll get into as the God, I hope the, the lockout ends. <laughs> we, we figure out where all these people are going to end up signing. But or as Paul said, 10 months later, it'll be October in the season. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think JBJ almost looked like he was done done at times at this last year like yeah. i can i can see maybe a bounce back but also he's 31 gonna be 32 next year it's not out of the realm of possibility either that he just starts to decline and yeah the defensive ability gives him a decent floor like you said ryan to be a serviceable player it's just not somebody the brewers can afford to pay 12 million dollars to be a, a reserve for you know um and I do think it, it, it's maybe more like Paul was saying, better to look at this as Hunter Renfro versus Avi Garcia as opposed to Renfro versus yeah. JBJ. I, I don't think JBJ is done, by the way. I, I He is sure. still at the athletic uh, profile hasn't really declined very much. He's still really good and fast out there. And, uh, you know, until that speed starts to leave you a little bit, I think that you have a decent chance to bounce back. But, um, you know, a, a a middling center field offensive profile is not what the Brewers need to add. So. No, they needed that corner pop and, and, and some uh, home run power, especially after losing Avi. And let's just get to our next Patreon question. It comes from Ted Johnson, who's actually got a few here. But the first one relates to Avi and this trade. He's asking, would you rather have signed Avi to the deal that he got from Miami rather than traded for Renfro for JBJ plus prospects? So, uh, <laughs> Framing this, Avi got a, I guess surprisingly for me, kind of a middling deal. He got four years for f- about $53 million. Uh, so doesn't seem to be something that broke the bank. But I guess 
Paul, between those two, who would you rather have? Hunter Renfro I, and you lose JBJ or Avi on that I deal? think that's like a super fair Avi Garcia deal. Um, that's not even really too long because he's not old. Um, so I, I like I would rather still have the prospect in Avi Garcia, and that's not too bad. I'm I, like I think I, I go that route. Like Renfro is speculative; you got to use him intelligently. Um, and I think Garcia is going to kind of be—he's going to give you what we were used to getting from him. So that's not that much money. I, I would—I I think that deal would be fine. I, I would opt for the deal on this question. Right. I think my answer to this, and this is probably not what he wants to hear, but sorry, Ted, uh, is probably neither. But oh boy, th- there's there's a good chance that this ends up working out because it's David Stearns, and David Stearns tends to do smart things, and so I think that I I will go ahead and say we'll take this rather than the contract because I wasn't a big believer in obviously Garcia to be good well into his thirties. And that's what that contract is asking him to be good. What at 33. So, okay. I'll take the Renfro if I have to choose between them, but I think ultimately I would have rather still done something else, but I don't even know what that something else is at this point. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not, huge money like paul said it's a very reasonable contract but still if you were in the brewer's shoes and we kind of talked about this when it came down to the qualifying offer right like you still have to choose to believe in the sudden one-year surge of hard hit or you know a launch angle to really buy into the future of avi garcia for him to be that kind of player um and maybe that's just not a risk that the brewers wanted to take or felt they could take you know, uh, mm-hmm. with their current yep. budget situation, whatever constraints they want to put on the payroll. Uh, I guess similarly, Ted, Ted's second question here, Eduardo Escobar, two years, 20 million to the Mets, also seems like a deal the Brewers could have swung. <laughs> Ted's asking, does that mean the Brewers have that much faith in Urias, Peterson, and Brousseau, or would they rather allocate funds elsewhere? Ryan, you're, what's your feeling on that? Because also Eduardo Escobar seemed to be a really reasonable contract. Yeah, it's a reasonable contract, but I think that they didn't have a a dedicated starting spot for him. I think if you look, Colton Wong is the starter at second base. Uh, Willie Adamas is the starter at short. And Luis Urias has earned the right to start at third base. Would we all agree on that? Like he, The season that he had this year, he's the starter at third base. So you're looking at Eduardo Escobar as the utility infielder. And frankly, I think that they can do a better job with mixing and matching guys like Brousseau and Peterson and uh, who they Peterson, they uh, gave a, they, they settled before the the yeah. deadline. So yeah, he, his, deal, yep. yeah, his arbitration deal has been settled. So I, I really don't have an issue with them letting him go at that price. I think that that would have been quite a bit and, they probably can just use that money better elsewhere, honestly. It's also, it's not a situation where guys like Eduardo Escobar get a deal in hand and like go to the Brewers and say, hey, do you want to match this either? I mean, he's he's not a long-term guy. The Brewers don't know in advance what these guys are going to get. And they do wait out, they wait out markets, sometimes to their detriment, sometimes not. And I, I don't think anybody knew how this offseason was going to go. Um, right. It's been it's been a very weird one and very hard to predict um, with the labor strife forthcoming. The owners 
handed out a bunch of stuff just so they could throw it back in the player's face. And um, it, so that's, I think, the main reason why. I, I kind of think if they could have gotten him on this deal, they probably would have, um, starting spot notwithstanding. And um, I, I will quibble a little bit that Urias had a good season. His his bat doesn't necessarily carry third super well, but good enough. And, and, and if you can improve on it, I think you do, but they probably can't. Um, and, and Escobar is... Yeah, kind of, kind of in the same ballpark. So it's fine, um, but uh, it's a cheap deal. I mean, Eduardo Escobar for that is is not not a bad deal, and I wouldn't mind having him around for that. Right, and like we don't know what the Brewers offered if they offered anything at all. You know, it's entirely possible they offered something similar, and he's just saying, like Ryan said, eh, I want to go to the Mets. There's playing time there, you know. So. Uh, free agency is a two-way street or you know like paul said he could have gotten that offer and just taken it without taking it back to the brewers the brewers never had a chance you know especially after the mets kind of had their little squabble with uh steven matz you know could you see the mets go like okay this is our offer and you got to take it otherwise it's not there anymore we're, we're done with all this haggling you know so (laughs) it's the Mets they run weird well the main thing that losing Eduardo Escobar cost the Brewers was a chance at Max Scherzer did you hear about this I did not (laughs) I didn't either (laughs) okay so Brian Dozier uh, told Max Scherzer when he was thinking of signing with the Mets because he had questions about the culture (laughs) and whatnot And so when he was discussing with some of his friends in the game, Brian Dozier, who I don't think has anything to do with the Mets whatsoever, said, oh, they just signed Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar, I would, you know, walk over hot colds for that guy or whatever. Basically, like any anything that uh, to play with that guy would be great. So that's where I want to be. And so Max Scherzer is like, well, if you're okay with Doge, you're fine with me. So he then signed with the Mets based on wow. them having signed Eduardo Escobar. Just kind of okay. like remember a couple of years ago when the uh, was it the White Sox were signing the cousin of Manny Machado. Yes. Thinking they could, or, yes. Yes. It didn't quite work out the same no. way. Oh, Yonder Alonso. Yeah. It was yeah, like it his was brother-in-law or something. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah, wheels inside wheels. Work out. Uh, when you fail at nepotism man okay uh (laughs) all right ted's got one last question here kind of related to everything we've been talking about so far he's asking do you see the brewers making a big ish position player free agent signing this offseason post jbj trade assuming we get to do that again so i think paul we we kind of mentioned hopefully this isn't it right do you see something else happening yeah i i don't think this can be yet they have a good understanding of what their issues are and the holes that they have on the team. And I think, I think they have to make at least one other significant signing if they're serious about competing. Now, the, uh, uh, the caveat on that is the NL Central is just barely tr- – I mean, the Cubs actually did do a signing, hooray for them, but yeah. it's still not a hard <laughs> division. Um, but uh, I think they understand that they do need to get better on offense. But uh, it's, it's so hard to predict what's going to actually happen, so – who knows what this looks like post lockout, um, but uh, I do think they'll do something. This is not going to be it. They, the offense isn't good. And they know it's not good. They got to they got to fix it more than this. I mean, looking at it, who's like the biggest guy out there at this point? There's some guys I have said I would like to see them sign. Uh, looking at MLB trade rumors, say Suzuki is one that I would like them to sign. Though I don't know if he would even consider Milwaukee. That's always a a tricky thing with international free agents. 
something that Mark Adonazio has complained about, by the way, that yeah. they just don't have a shot at signing those guys at all. Like they cannot get them, which that it's true, but I don't know that that's actually a, vi- a valid gripe that he should have, but whatever. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, like, that's kind of, I think, the the top top of the did, market because did, did Chris Bryant sign somewhere? I mean, they're not signing Chris Bryant, and they're not signing. Why not? They're not. <laughs> okay. They're not signing. They're not signing Bryant. They're not signing Castellanos. They're not. I I would bet <laughs> oodles of money on that. They're first off, Bryant is going to the West Coast. I will be stunned if he goes anywhere. Yeah, the Rockies, than- which are really close to Las Vegas, as was reported <laughs> this week. <laughs> oh God, the Rockies thing is so good. Oh, they just continue to be an absolute shit show. Oh, but uh, yeah, I and Nick Castellanos, it was reported he was looking for like an eight year deal. <laughs> That's just like not even you can look for whatever he wants. You can look for whatever he if you don't ask for it. No, you can't. But like generally guys aren't totally overreaching on that stuff. I bet you he gets six and there's no way the Brewers do that. So. I don't think there's really any chance of them getting either one of those. I think the the sort of the top of the market for them, and he is a fit, is Anthony Rizzo. And it's just a question of, I think they would need to come out of the, the, the labor stoppage, one, with a DH. Though if yep. there is a DH, that changes the market for somebody like Anthony Rizzo a lot, right? Because... Now, all of a sudden, teams in the National League all have at least, if not an opening at DH, an opening that a guy who's playing first base, they could slide to DH or they could start working some sort of rotation there and then put him in. So I don't know. But Anthony Rizzo just makes a lot of sense to them on a lot of levels. And the the contract that MLB Trade Rumors had predicted for him, three years, $45 million, I think is something that they would actually do. I think it's something Mark Atanasio would would snap pretty quickly at. So the old Aramis Ramirez deal. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's fairly similar to that. You, you hope yeah. you get a solid year and a half out of the three year deal and you take the back end if whatever. Yeah. And I don't know. It may not even be that big because Aramis when he signed with the Brewers was another like two or three years older than Rizzo. And he signed yeah. for three years. So this would not That's even true. be that. Like I could see if Rizzo starts getting like four or five year offers, I think the Brewers, there's no chance there. Mm -hmm. But if it's two to three and they could get creative and do some stuff, I could easily see them ending up signing Rizzo. Yeah, it's just crazy to me to think of Rizzo getting that because he feels a lot older than he actually is just because he's been around and been talked about even as a prospect for so long. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, it's hard to see. Um I guess, yeah, we mentioned the the only other team in the NL Central really trying before things shut down seemed to be the Cubs, and they had that flurry on December 1st where they added Clint Frazier, longtime object of my eye, uh, <laughs> but after he was DFA'd by the Yankees. They also signed Jan Gomes, which was kind of weird, uh, but maybe a sign that Wilson Contreras may be on his way out. And then, that, of course, they signed Marcus Stroman, so the Cubs actually have a, a starting pitcher now. So congrats to them. Well, and they also had already picked up uh, uh, Wade Miley from the Reds when they it DFA'd did, him. Yep. So they were yeah, able to so do that So kind of well. a sneaky, sneaky good offseason for the Cubs so far. So I wouldn't sleep too much on them yep. unless 
you know management gets in their way again which it's the cubs they probably will well and then the cardinals have added some starting pitching as well so yeah i'm not a huge believer in mats but but we 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 never sleep on the cardinals so that's not a big deal and we can still sleep on the cubs a little bit because i mean they still lost like most of their offense in the offseason and this Mm -hmm. is just getting they got to get back to uh to treading water before they actually surge into anything worthwhile do you think they're going to try yeah. to run like basically a David Stern style rebuild here? Because I think that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah, kind of do. Um, but it it's kind of infuriating from them. But that does seem like what they, like this is a, 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 I don't know, because this is like a teardown for them. They've built back up a little bit here. But, you know, a couple of those guys were DFAs. And um, I mean, Wade Miles is good. It's, you know, I get that there's money DFAs, but like the they're they really blew up the core and i feel like yeah. david stern's really oh, no. doesn't no david stern's absolutely did though a lot of it was done before he even got here melvin you know trading away gomez and and some but of those had, guys th- since stern's has been here they've had they've had scenarios where i think other gms would have blown up the core and they they haven't done that so i yeah. i don't know this is what the cubs have done is seems quite extreme and uh kind of It'd unprecedented It'd be kind of like Stearns trading away Ryan Braun or something like that when he got here, or something like that. I don't know. Like like a but, whole bunch of Ryan Brauns yes. all at the same time. Yes. Um, and you're the Chicago freaking Cubs. Spend some money. Sign Carlos Correa and Nick Castellanos and just, yeah, you're the Cubs. Use it. Cubs fans Whatever. really want to have Castellanos back. And frankly, I would be very good with that because I think that would be a bad contract for them by the time they're actually really good again in two or three years. So sure, I would be All okay right. with them doing that. For sure. All right. Uh, lots of other Patreon questions to get to. Let's get to Jay. Uh, Jay Google asking, do you think the Brewers maybe try and move Narvaez and capitalize on his defensive success and his hot first half? Also, now who do they target? Someone like Rizzo or another left-handed hitting outfield to maybe platoon with Kane. Ryan, I guess first uh, thoughts on moving Narvaez. Is that something you want to do when you're trying to replace offense already? Yeah, probably not. I don't know exactly what you could get for him. It would depend. I think this is one of those classic situations where David Stearns would be willing to listen on just about anybody, but you'd have to come really strong with a an offer that he just couldn't turn down. Somebody that would be a, say, a long-term controllable bat that he thinks is going to be a an impact player for them who's yeah. either in the majors or very near to the majors. And I just don't see why a team would give that up for Omar Narvaez a year away from free agency. So I I would be surprised if they traded him, but I've been surprised by David Stern so many times that we shouldn't be <laughs> surprised by anything he does. Yeah, and if they did decide to go with just a mishmash of young catchers, I guess it wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever. But uh, I'll be I'll be surprised if they actually trade away any any redeeming bat that they currently possess. So that that would be shocking. Sure. Uh, second half of the question, we talked about Rizzo a little bit, but how about a, the idea of a left-handed hitting outfield to platoon with Kane? I guess is there a viable option out there, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> well, they may have already done it in David Dahl. Now, that doesn't really fit the platooning with Kane. I don't think you would see that no, come into play. He's a corner guy, right? He's more yeah. of a corner guy. I, I'm not sure exactly where he stands at this point, but he's a guy that the Brewers have been interested in for a long time. You keep hearing talk of them being interested in David Dahl, and 
I love it from the perspective of anytime you can get somebody away from the Rockies. It was he last with the Rockies. <laughs> it's Paul's Orioles theory, just with the Rockies. Yeah, it's, it, it's the same theory. So yes, <laughs> yeah. No, this one like because the Rockies are still run completely horribly. So I guess yeah. he was with Texas. I don't know what Texas was like over the the last little bit of time here, but I mean, David Dahl is a couple years removed as a 25 year old in Colorado. He put up a 302, uh, 353, 524 line. It was good for an OPS plus of 111. Um, year before OPS plus of 113, and then he just completely crashed and burned in 2020. Boy, did he ever. Holy yeah, cow. just a complete yeah. crash and burn. And then was not much better with Texas last year. I think they they see something in him, and I would not be surprised at all to see him really break out and become a good player for the Brewers. You're still looking here at a guy who's you know only going into his age 28 season. Yep. So Dahl is very interesting that way. And remember when I said a couple weeks ago, last time we were, I think we were all together, when they did the signing of or when they uh, let Manny Pena go, when Pena walked. And I said, they're going to bring in some guy, and it's not going to make any waves at the time that it happens. And then, you know, a few months into the season, we're all going to be like, oh, that was actually a pretty good pickup on their part. And maybe that was Severino. Maybe that's what we're going to end up seeing from Severino. Well, we'll have to see. But I kind of think it's the same sort of thing at Dahl. Like, they're going to bring in these guys and give it a shot and see what happens. And... Oftentimes, these things work out well for them. It worked out with Travis Shaw. It worked out very well with uh, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, more recently, Jace Peterson. Like They just have this knack of finding guys on the scrap heap and turning them into useful players. I will say I've kind of liked Dahl for a while, too. As you guys mentioned, the numbers have been good there, but he kind of just fell off a cliff, like you mentioned, in 2020. And he's just all the, hurt all the time. And I think that's kind of where the Rockies gave up on him. Like 2020 alone, he had uh, right shoulder surgery. He had his spleen removed in 2015 after running into an outfield wall. Yeesh. He had a rib cage injury in 2017. In 2018, he missed two months with a broken foot. So he's just kind of a a, a wreck physically. So, uh, you know, maybe there's the chance that his body's just kind of betrayed him a little bit. Uh, but you know he's produced at the big leagues before so definitely worth that flyer mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. all right um i guess on that note we have a question from adam post will david Dahl get any major league at bats with the brewers this season ryan what do you think i mean if we're setting the over under at 0.5 at bats i will take the over mm -hmm. happily <laughs> at yeah. any yes yeah oh agreed because that's how the brewers roll i mean mm -hmm tons and tons of tons of guys get at bats for this team they get shuffled in and out all the time but yeah i i think he is a prime candidate as an outfield platoon guy and eventually injuries or whatnot will will have him up so yeah i think for sure i don't know i don't know what i would pick if i was going for a total at bats on the season mm -hmm. um it wouldn't be huge but definitely more than zero Absolutely. I guess uh, staying on the theme of outfielders on the 40-man roster, we have MC Cham asking, Corey Ray's on the 40-man. Does he have any upside? Ryan, is there any <laughs> hope left for Corey Ray? So I will happily say, yes, there's upside here. It's probability that's his problem now. Like, he is still a talented athlete who... <laughs> 
if he could ever figure out like how to swing a baseball bat consistently, which apparently has been a problem for a very, very long time, even going back into college where he's always tinkering with things. If he could ever figure that out, there's still something there. It's just at this point when it hasn't clicked and hasn't clicked and hasn't clicked, you start to say, well, the probability of it ever really clicking for him is probably very low. Now, obviously, you wouldn't put the same kind of ceiling on him as you would have on draft day in 2016, but there's still some ceiling there. It's just a matter of it's a very low probability that he ever gets to it. Yeah, I just the profile of Corey Ray in the first place is like the best college bat when they drafted him. Um, you're not supposed to take this long. Your your upside goes lower, 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 lower every year. It, this is not the guy that they drafted out of high school with big. I mean, he has good tools, but um, uh, it's it's probably over for Corey Ray if he if he actually makes something happen. It'll be a big surprise, but we can, we can always hope. Better odds of happening. David Dahl plays a full season ever again, or Corey Ray becomes something. <laughs> what's more likely? I mean, what's a full season? Yeah. And, yeah. and what's something? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just, yeah, it seems unlikely to be as well. I mean, Tyrone Taylor became something, and I didn't think that was going to happen. So that's never true. know. That's true. All right. Uh, I put it off as long as I can. I think we have to talk labor talk. Everybody's favorite portion of the program i think uh, this is a I good have... way to ease in here though mark gave us some yeah. good stuff to ease yeah. in. yeah and and i held off for what like 40 45 minutes here so i i think we're good uh so mark po- mark podscarby i should get his name right uh brings up the labor questions and as ryan said lots of good questions here so let's just kind of roll through and kind of cover these initial bases because i'm sure we'll be uh talking about it for a long time All right, so Mark's question here is, as a fan who doesn't care who quote-unquote wins between the owners and players and only cares about what helps the Brewers and ending the dominance that large markets have on World Series titles, what things should I be looking for in terms of the labor negotiations? Expanded playoffs, international draft, enhanced revenue sharing, why do all these seem like they side with the owners? Where can I side with both (laughs) players and small markets? Uh, Paul, I guess let's start with you. Uh, so, lawyer time with Paul. Let's go. So you're you're probably not going to get enough revenue sharing in baseball to have the small markets like be the Dodgers. That's the thing. Like it's it would take a massive change in the landscape of the league to make it look like the NFL, where everybody kind of spends the same amount of money. It's very unlikely that happens. The owners would love that if that happened, hey, but it's Paul. probably not. I, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you on that, but I heard right. an interesting thing this week. I was listening to the Evan Drellick Labor Podcast, uh, where they're weekly going over what's going on in the the labor discussions because he's the guy in the Athletic covering this, and he mentioned that the NFL right now, the Lions, I think, were the lowest with just over a hundred million in in payroll, and the high end was like a hundred and ninety. Yeah, that's about right. So it's not as big as the baseball split because baseball, obviously, you have the Mets at like what now 260, 270, and like the Pirates and Cleveland down in like the 40 range. But I think it's a bigger split than people realize, right? Yeah, but so yes, but the Lions are, I would say, a little unusual in that regard. Um, most NFL teams, uh, you have a big middle class in football, most people do approach the salary cap. 
and, and honestly, most teams over the COVID season um, are really edging up to the salary cap. It's actually very rare for a team to be. The Lions are a, a travesty of a franchise in a complete, complete teardown. Managed to excise all bad contracts from themselves through a bunch of um, shenanigan trades. Matthew Stafford um, taking back Jared Goff money, whatever. Um, and for the most part, NFL teams are pretty bunched. You, you, I, I'm also there's a there's a floor there as well. So you can only go so low um, in football. But aside from all that, yeah, there are so many problems with baseball looking like football. You're not going to ever get a situation where. They have a big pie, and they split it up equitably between between all teams, mostly because nobody could even agree on what baseball revenue is for the owners. So you're not going to have a situation where the Brewers are forking over as much money as the Dodgers. It's it's extremely unlikely if it happens. The owners have managed to completely screw over the players and get an absurdly low salary cap. Um, and because of that, you're really not going to create parity through through money it's just unlikely to happen and um it it you know while the world series has been dominated by um by big market teams plenty of small market teams have made the playoffs and to some extent we do just have some some luck with big market teams managing to win the thing quite often um honestly the thing that would probably help the brewers um overcome big market advantage in the playoffs is expanded playoffs um, because they throw in even more randomness and luck than than we had before, and any team can lose a three game series to any other team. Like that would probably honestly help a small market teams win more World Series. Now, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't it's not necessarily good for baseball if they do that. Um, I don't know. It, it, all, all that does is make the less good teams win the championship more. <laughs> and if you're fine with that, then fine. Um, but that is what you're doing. You are. You're, you're keeping, you're, you're, you're taking an advantage away from rich teams by injecting randomness into the way that they determine a title. That's it. But that's probably the biggest thing you could do for the Brewers and for a bunch of other small market teams is expand the playoffs. Like that would do it. Um, money's not going to cut it. Yeah. So I've said for a long time, and I mentioned it again on Twitter this week, and I want to go into a little bit more depth because I think it's time. For the longest time, baseball has balanced its competition on the backs of the players this really goes back at least 20 25 years at this point where teams started to realize that the six-year window that they had with players of control at the beginning of guys careers was something that they could use and then leverage cleveland started doing it in the 90s where they signed everybody to extensions and were able to get even more time out of that but basically to use that time period well, you don't have to pay guys very much to be able to compete with the big boys who are spending a lot of money on guys who are in their 30s and largely in decline phases, though I guess at that point, decline phases were a little bit different because of steroids, but <laughs> I digress. Anyway, uh, baseball has for a long time basically said to small markets, the way to compete is through that. Like That is how you're going to do it. You're not going to compete on a, on a payroll level with the big boys we will give you some revenue sharing there will be some of that they're going to make some minor allowances there are things you know you get those compensation draft picks the the ones that the 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 cardinals also get you know every other year mm -hmm. they're getting their their first round extra pick and and actually that is what the players have proposed there were uh, some of those things proposed this was brought up on that 
Evandrolic podcast that I talked about. One of the proposals that the union put in there to soften the blow for small market teams from some of the other stuff that they're talking about, like giving, you know, allowing players to hit arbitration earlier or to hit free agency earlier. Those are both things that the union is really fighting for in this time period and I think would hurt uh, small markets disproportionately. But one of the things that they were they brought up was uh, doing a thing where small market teams got a an advantage in the draft. So like it would be 60% based on record and 40% based on your market in terms of where you draft. So I don't know exactly how that would work if that wasn't really explained, but just the idea that basically <laughs> yeah. small markets get goosed up the board, big markets get pushed down a little bit. I don't know yeah. exactly what that would look like, but that would be one way. And another way was that teams that were, and this helps the union on a number of levels, but small market teams, if you receive revenue sharing, you get a bonus draft pick every time you finish over 500. So you would get extra draft picks for finishing over 500. So to give you an incentive to compete, which frankly, that like fits right in with the Stearns Atanasio model. That would be perfect for them. They would have been getting extra draft picks basically every year for that over the last five years, except for 2020. But yeah, so I think that, yes, there is a problem here. And yes, it could potentially get really bad if you were to see I'm a big soccer fan and I'm a fan of Liverpool, and they're one of the big boys in Europe. They have a lot of money, and they can outspend basically everybody but like six other teams in the Premier League. They can basically outspend anybody else in the league. And so there's sort of this tier of competition where it's it, like these teams aren't even really playing the same game. You know, you have a team like Brentford is not playing the same game as Liverpool or Manchester City because the money is just so astronomically different that it's, it's totally a different level of competition. Baseball is not that. Baseball is not even close to that because this the draft exists and this way of distributing talent uh, and keeping it in-house because of the way of contracts work exists. So that does help teams, you know, in the Brewer situation. Mm-hmm. But there is going to need to be some give here. I think that if you are a person like I think probably a lot of people are who both likes the Brewers and would like to see the players do better than they have been for a number of reasons in the last few CBAs. I think that what you hope for is that the players get more access to more money early and that there is something given back on the back end of it that helps those teams still be able to acquire talent to be competitive with the big boys. I think that's kind of what you're looking for and what you're hoping for. Now, as to the specifics that he brought up, um, I think you're exactly right, Paul. The expanded playoffs would help a, a market like Milwaukee. They probably have absolutely no problem with that. I think it's also every every expansion of the playoffs that you make gives teams less incentive to spend. Yep, totally right. does. So especially it, it gives – if you start taking away – teams inside of like the proposal I saw, which was everybody, if you finish with the best record in the league, you get a buy through the first round of the playoffs. Everybody else goes into this pool of, it would be like six teams per league. 
And you go into this pool and you have to play a three-game series all on the home field of the, the better-seeded team. And they had something in there about picking your opponent, whatever, that's bells and whistles that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that's just stupid. But uh, basically what that does then is it says to teams, well, if you're not really in the running for the top uh, the top team in the league, if you can't compete with the Dodgers on this side or, you know, the Yankees or whoever on the, the American League side, if you don't think you can compete with them record wise, there's really no demonstrable difference for you between winning 87 games and almost certainly making the playoffs and winning 95 games yep. and definitely mm-hmm. making the playoffs. And that puts a lot of bad incentives in place for teams not to really try to become really good. Yeah. Everybody, it's just sort of a then it, it's like, okay, just be mediocre, be mediocre, and then hope yeah. to get hot. A, a lot of players get paid to make the marginal difference at the playoffs to add two to three wins to a close team total to get them in, where then they can compete for a championship based on all the luck that happens. And if you are having more teams in the field, thus taking away, you know, adding more spots where people would be trying to buy players to get them in and um, you know, lowering that bar. Uh, you're going to kill a lot of salaries um, just by doing that. So the owners definitely would love to do that. I, I don't know that the players understand. Well, actually, I do. The players do understand this mm-hmm. because a bunch of baseball nerds are screaming it at them all day long. So, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it it is a I think a, a little a little hidden owner salary cap that normal people aren't going to understand is one of the goals of expanded playoffs. It is a salary depressing thing, uh, and it does help. It does help your small market too. So. Um, one of the things, almost anything that helps a small market hurts players in some way. Um, it is just how things work. Yeah. And there are ways that they can get around that. Like the things I was talking about, there are ways to kind of cut that back and make that better. I don't know if those things would be enough. Um, he did mention here also an international draft and I think that's coming regardless. I think the players actually have, it's a big difference from the last CBA where it really was. I don't know how much people remember this, but it was a group of international players who basically put their foot down and said, we will not accept an international draft. Go to hell. We're not doing this because they were trying to protect the Buscone system, which is, I think, very misunderstood by people. But maybe I can get into this more in the minor league uh, (laughs) podcast at some point. (laughs) But basically, the international draft at this point is something that it's probably preferable to the players at this point than the current system they're operating under even. And I think at, at this point uh, you're not even going to get much pushback. It's going to be a question of how it's framed and what the details are. But I think an international draft is an inevitability at this point, And it's coming as a result of the CBA. And I think it's something that the, the players will hold out to the owners and make them give something to get it. But I think they're, they're perfectly willing to, to give on this to get something on the other side. And I actually don't think it's even a mistake depending on what the, the parameters of that draft are, but because the system as it exists now sucks for international players, like hardcore (laughs) sucks. So anything is almost better than that. And Mm -hmm. it, it really is truly exploitative where you have 12 year olds being told you have to sign, you have to make it, you can't sign until you're 16, but everybody's, you know, the top guys are all making decisions when they're like 12 and 13 years old. Who are you going to sign with? It's just, it's asinine. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
right? All right, Mark has one more labor question before we wrap things up here. He's asking across sports, which players unions have done the best in CBA negotiations in recent memory versus ownership and vice versa, which sports has the ownership groups done the best? I guess, Paul, anything t- come to mind here? So the answer used to be baseball for sure. Um, hmm. But I think with the way aging curves have moved, um, it's not really anything that negotiations have gotten necessarily wrong. It's just that guys used to be better older and uh honestly this is one of the one of the fallouts of the steroid era that has also cost the players dearly is eroding a lot of their earning power and free agency um it's it's funny how that's kind of worked out but um it you can really see the incentives for taking steroids um here financially for them it really has killed them the answer is the nba in, in american sports um they have done i think a very nice job and have very um, healthy labor relations where stars get paid. Um, you can pay guys extra to keep them in their original market um, that is available, and everybody's paid quite well. It's a good chunk of the total take. Um, and on top of all of that, um, the minimums are pretty good. Um, you don't have the baseball problem where a lot of guys just aren't actually making that much money. And when they retire, they can fall into poverty pretty quickly. Um, NBA contracts, even at the lower level, are pretty good. Um, they, they have a nice floor. They, they do have a good, healthy middle class with things like mid-range exceptions. Um, I, I think their union and their ownership have, have done a really nice job. Um, the NFL obviously has the worst union. Hockey's its own thing because it's barely a sport. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the NFL union, uh, the players union in the NFL is awful. Um, they do a terrible job for their constituents um, and they should totally, they should fire and totally remake their union leadership because it is, uh, it is not doing a good job for them. It, it totally misunderstands value and aging curves and things like that. Isn't that a problem of who makes up the, the union power uh brokers basically though because yes it in is. football you have you, your average player has a career of what like two years like not uh, even. yeah two or three um right in there and uh yeah it's over really fast for them and they they lose their prime earning um time to uh, the, the rookie contracts so it's it's not good it's a bad situation by the way paul i have a people that want to try to figure this out and figure out who i'm talking about can do that but i have a little story for you a uh, guy who graduated two years after me in high school or maybe it was one uh who's his parents were friends with my parents uh had a bit of an nfl career and he was special teams player of the week a uh, number of times actually i think at least three or four times uh some big time highlight stuff And he uh, was busy because he was a graduate of an Ivy League school. He was busy while he was playing, also becoming certified as an agent. So he was working on that for his post-career because he knew the NFL thing was not going to last very long and whatever. One thing that did happen that was very interesting was when he got to the point of when all the stuff vests. I think we're talking about four years. Is that right? When you're like pension fully vesting, oh, you're, pension you're... fully vesting. Ugh, uh, I, I actually don't know off the top of my head. Um, it, I think it is four years, but I'm, I'm not actually sure. So here was the thing he founded. He was he uh, told my parents about it at some party they were all at together, and my dad was very fascinated by the whole thing and kind of relate it to me. Basically, he could not get a contract. He was like, okay, um, there was just no way to get a contract. He's like, I. I know I can play at this level. Like I'm not great, but like 
he just could not get a contract. And basically what he was told by people who had been around is, yeah, you're in that group of people who they're just not going to ever let people of your level get to that fully vested point. And ownership basically colludes to keep that from ever happening. Yeah, that sounds about right. So they just basically, (laughs) there's sort of a thing where like, yeah, we're just all going to kind of agree not to sign guys of this ilk uh, past the point where we would have to fully vest their pensions. And that it wasn't just him. It's, you know, obviously a whole group of players that get that same situation all the time. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Baseball. I mean, baseball kind of has that stuff, but it's more I think it's more mechanical in terms of what the uh, like guys getting contracts once they hit arbitration They're for a lot of guys. That's sort of the end of the road. Like as soon as you hit arbitration, it's like, okay, we're going to go on to somebody else who's not going to demand more than that. And when it starts to get, you know, like when guys run out of options, option years, that also depresses value. So, oh, yeah. So you see that a lot. But anyway, getting back to the actual point here. um, (laughs) Yeah, the, the NFL, obviously, that that stands out as being horrible. I think that you could say that MLB, going back to what you said about the the last couple uh, negotiations, they really did screw up bad in this last one. They yeah. so two one, two contracts ago, they really allowed sort of this um, pretty heavy handed uh, luxury tax stuff to come into play. This was the one in whatever it was twenty eleven or or whenever in the twenty sixteen one. I remember reading the details of it as a person who isn't even that like I'm not a lawyer I'm, I'm well versed in the stuff and I I pay attention to it but like I'm a layman basically and I looked at it and I said holy hell they just like put in basically a hard salary cap because mm-hmm. teams are not going to push past this like you will not have teams giving up draft picks and all this kind of stuff like paying 100% overages and all like that will not happen no, it was a salary cap. They <laughs> right. They, they screwed up, and the players let that happen. And in a, the same negotiation, where the the big thing they seemed to get back was chefs and you know more buses for <laughs> spring training to take them to and from places. I know that's and it's a very contentious issue, and there are people that will tell you on both sides apparently who will say that that wasn't that that's been misrepresented, and there are people who say it wasn't, but. They screwed up big time and gave away a lot. But I think if you look at the most recent example we have, and it wasn't a CBA negotiation, but what we saw last year, the union pretty thoroughly cleaned the floor with the owners because the owners seemed to screw up. Remember when they back in April or back in March or whatever, when they made the deal about, you know, we're going to pay full prorated salaries and all that. Yeah. And they begged them, begged them like halfway through the year to reconsider that. And nope. And then they yeah. just delayed, delayed, delayed. And the players basically held yeah. out, held firm and just said, no, no, we, yeah. we, we will not. And that was actually a pretty good test run. That gave me you know, more optimism going into this thing that the players could actually crawl back, you know, claw back some of this stuff that they'd lost from ownership because, you know. Ultimately, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, at various points down the line. This comes down to a, the pot of money is out there. They're they're taking my money. They're taking your money. And that's coming out no matter what. Like, they're going to take as much money as they possibly can from their consumers, right? So then it becomes a question of who do you want to have that money? And for me, there's no question. I would rather have the players who are, you know, 
the reason that I watched the game to have the lion's share of that money as opposed to the owners who will just as soon, you know, hold a city hostage for a new stadium as anything else. You know? Right. So yeah. to me, I just, I have no, I, I just easily side with the players because to side with the owners is just absolutely ridiculous to me. I don't yeah. see how. Do you, yeah. Yeah, Do you want the money to go to the concert performer or the person who booked the concert, yeah. you know? Don't, exactly. Don't, don't side with the owners in baseball. It's ridiculous to side with the owners in baseball. They they have a union. They get to collude. They are their own union, the owners' union. If you don't like unions for whatever reason, then you should just still side with the players because they actually create value and the owners do nothing. <laughs> Owning a baseball team is the least risky thing in the world. Like You're supposed to get paid for risk. You are supposed to get... The, the whole point of of why owners make money is because they put capital into things and they might lose it all. And baseball has become a sport where there's no risk of losing it all. Like there is no risk to the owners. And so once you forfeit that, once the risk goes on somebody else, you're not entitled to to make huge profits anymore. Um, it's the easiest game in town. Uh, you can't lose money doing it. And uh, it, uh, if you, if you, if you are on the owner's side, you need to rethink your priorities. Uh, it's the sign of a bad person. <laughs> no. Yes. I was just gonna say support workers, not bosses, but uh, <laughs> we could leave it at that too. I I could just imagine the uh, five star reviews we're gonna be getting on this one. That's uh, that, hey, all the better. On that topic, uh, we would appreciate it if you do leave us a review, uh, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else. As always, Paul will read literally anything you put down in a five star review. Uh, so there's your incentive to go do that. Uh, if the last you know 20 minutes of labor talk was super riveting to you, and we we got a whole winter full of it coming probably, and hell probably <laughs> spring and yeah, half yeah. a summer too. Uh, so uh, yeah, as I mentioned, go to Apple Podcasts while you're there. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button. Help us kind of work our way up the sports podcast rankings, if you will there as well that's that's one way you can support us you can also go to patreon.com slash mke tailgate become a patron there throw a few bucks our way as we mentioned at the top there two bucks a month you get that question priority you heard all the awesome questions here uh so you get to run the show especially in these off-season months where we're kind of looking for things to talk about that's it's a good way to kind of help set the agenda for us as it were so uh please do that as well and uh yeah just a lot to catch up on this week, so we appreciate everybody kind of bearing with us as we <laughs> catch up on two weeks' worth of stuff and kind of get a, a whole lot of thoughts out here on tape. So uh, And make sure to tune in guys. next week yeah. for our extended discussion of Abraham Elmonte. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's I'll study up on Abraham. Good old Abe. Uh, yeah. So uh, on that note, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week uh, just to talk about anything else that happens in these labor negotiations or anything else you want us to talk about. So uh, shoot us a question and we'll see you next time here on the Walkies Tailgate.
Yeah. <sighs> that's a, that's a pregnant pause if I ever heard one. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, keep it in. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take out part of it. I will take out part of it. All right. I had to reread the question. <laughs> I was I was looking at his hard hit numbers. That's uh, where I was okay. I was distracting myself so I didn't hear what the the actual question was. 